Today on the Sunshine Economy, the unemployment rate has plunged while the inflation rate has soared. What is the state of the South Florida economy two years into the COVID-19 pandemic? I think psychologically, the high gas prices and high food prices um, must be leaving a lot of people feeling not so great. Today, the economy and epidemiology of the evolving COVID-19 virus in South Florida. I'm Tom Hudson. How is COVID-19 here and elsewhere still influencing the job market and other financial decisions? We've had different kinds of surges, the surges of tourists and people who are coming back to our hospitality sector, our food uh, and service sector. It's next on the Sunshine Economy. This is a special Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Please continue showing your support for public radio with a contribution during our program. Thank you. The unemployment rate in South Florida is lower now than the month COVID-19 began to take hold of the economy. But that does not mean the South Florida job market is back to its pre-virus state. Two years after the pandemic began, it is a much different economy and a much different pandemic. While the unemployment rate in South Florida has fallen to 3%, There are 60,000 less jobs than compared to the month before the pandemic, and there are more than 30,000 less people who are part of the job market. There's inflation, which is shot up, especially for housing, gasoline, and food. And then there's the virus itself and the tools to manage it. It's been about a year since vaccines became widely available. There are several new treatments for those catching the disease, and there is the ever-evolving germ itself. That's why we caught up with an epidemiologist and someone who watches the regional economy. Hi, my name is Zinzi Bailey. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. I am Howard Frank, director of the Perez Metropolitan Center at FIU. We're doing well. On most of the metrics, we're doing well on these kind of snapshot metrics. Our cases are pretty low. Our deaths so far, right, are, are not there. or We haven't recorded them as such. So we are doing pretty well. People are able to uh, move around and do quite a bit. But whenever we're looking at some of these kinds of things, we're talking about what has historically happened right before. So we are living in this, like, really positive valley because we went through Omicron and we went through Delta. So we've gone through these kinds of progressive surges that have essentially, they've touched almost every family, I would say, within South Florida so that we can now have a kind of measure of security um, for a period of time. There's an objective reality that says You know, positivity is below 3%. You know, the president says, you know, it's COVID is no longer controlling our lives. Uh, We we seem on that front, we seem to have turned an important corner, but people obviously aren't feeling so good. And if inflation is outstripping earnings and we're still running hot on inflation, and I think psychologically, the high gas prices and high food prices um, must be leaving a lot of people feeling not so great. So I think there's an objective reality that says 
On the health front, we're better. And then there's a, and, and objectively a 3.3% unemployment rate. <laughs> That's, we're approaching where we were prior to COVID, but people may not be feeling as well. So there's the subjective and there's the objective. The infection and unemployment data have dropped considerably. Fewer people are catching the virus, and there are a lot fewer serious cases. And tens of thousands of jobs have returned to the economy. But Floridians are not feeling as economically optimistic as they were one year ago when vaccines and other treatments began being made available, and the Florida economy was more open than others across the nation. I'm going to say that maybe the psyche is worse than the actuals. How does that sound? Frank points to a drop in consumer sentiment as evidence. The University of Florida Consumer Sentiment Index in March of this year was much lower compared to a year ago. And people's expectations for their own financial situations a year from now also have fallen versus how they felt 12 months ago. You and I were probably lining up to get our first COVID vaccines. And we were, you know, there were lines were people getting tested and and there were tens of thousands of cases and positivity rates of 20%. And yet people, if you can believe the sentiment barometer, felt better last year than they do this year. And I think it speaks to $4 gas prices and inflation. Florida consumers may not be as confident now as they were a year ago, but Bailey points out Lots of people are visiting the state, helping boost demand for workers. In South Florida, we're essentially been recovering, right? (laughs) And even in this last, let's say, spring break season, we've had different kinds of surges, the surges of tourists and people who are coming back to our hospitality sector, our food uh, and service sector. So I think those things are bouncing back. And the hospitality industry sees this. In late March, revenue per available hotel room in Miami-Dade County was up 50% from a year ago, according to data from the Greater Miami Convention and Visitors Bureau. It's the same story across South Florida. In February, hotels across the region hit their highest occupancy levels of the pandemic. At least 90% of available rooms in the Keys, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and Palm Beach were filled, according to commercial real estate data firm CoStar. Hotels in the Keys have the highest occupancy rate in the nation, which helps explain why Monroe County has the lowest unemployment in the state, 2%. Still to come, the state of the pandemic today and the uncertainty of what's ahead. We are in a very happy lull right now, but we don't know what's on the horizon. I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Please continue making your donation during our program. Thank you. About 1,000 people a day in Florida have tested positive for COVID-19 over the past month. Just three months ago, it was 50,000 people a day. That was the height of the Omicron surge. We spoke with Dr. Zinzi Bailey, a social epidemiologist with the University of Miami, to hear about the state of the pandemic today in South Florida. We're seeing a kind of a varied uh, kind of mix after uh, Omicron. If you look at it across different neighborhoods, you're not seeing the same neighborhoods popping up as being the uh, hotspots of cases right now. 
with small numbers. So with caution, I will say like in Miami-Dade County, we're seeing slightly elevated from uh, kind of the overall in um, places like Doral or Sunny Isles or places in the hammocks, right? Like, and that's just the latest kind of dashboard, very small numbers, but we're seeing different kind of neighborhoods. So we are in kind of a, a lull in terms of how many cases. So it's hard to look at that kind of variation, but we're always going to be seeing differences across different groups. That's going to be reflective of different practices, different occupations, different vaccination practices, those sorts of things. So we're going to be seeing those kinds of things playing out maybe in different ways as we're moving forward. As an epidemiologist, Dr. Bailey, where do you think we are on the spectrum of pandemic and endemic? If two years ago was kind of the official beginning of this pandemic, out of control, spread, and endemic, a virus, a disease that we have learned to live with, we've learned to manage through various ways, both in terms of vaccinations as well as new treatments. Where do you think we are on that spectrum? I'm going to give you an unsatisfying answer in that I think we are somewhere in between, right? Perhaps we have started into an endemic stage where we're able to better deal with what's happening and react and, and know what to do. People have masks on hand. We are having some level of preparation of having at-home tests. We know where to go. We kind of know symptoms. Like, you know, for example, if, if we were in, um, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, we would know what the symptoms of malaria were, right? We'd be able to say, okay, we know what to do. So we're moving into that stage. However, what worries me a little bit is that we have not reached a steady state in terms of how we are preparing. So we are in a very happy lull right now, but we don't know what's on the horizon, right? We have not eliminated the threat of variants. We have not eliminated even COVID itself, uh, even the variants we've seen coming back at later points when immunity maybe has waned. Um, so we have not gotten to that point where we feel very secure in this kind of uh, idea that we're in an endemic phase. And with that, what we need to do and what we need to have to be prepared is to be able to test very widely when the need is there, right? When, when it's needed and not to be scrambling as we were at the very beginning of the pandemic uh, to get gather sources, gather people to then be able to test people, then be able to process, have the labs. So I think we're in the middle of that transition perhaps where we have not set up our preparation in a more permanent way, but we may be moving into a kind of um, endemic phase. On the horizon is this BA2 variant. Correct. As an epidemiologist in South Florida, what are you watching for as that variant has emerged and is has been seen as one to watch? So it has been seen as one to watch. It seems to be more uh, uh, transmissible, but we're not seeing um, the severity changing in terms of what people are going through once they have have gotten this with a population that has high levels of vaccination and high levels of Omicron transmission in previous wave for a period of time, we might be 
in an okay state. Uh, we might have little blips of this, but we, from most of the places that we have seen this, where there is vaccination, there hasn't been as much of an issue as what we thought might be the case. It was a lot of, you know, maybe this is going to be really horrible. I think it's going to be something that we will have to deal with. We will have to look at what is happening with the cases. So continuing to track cases, continuing to look and see whether we are about to go up and institute all of the preparation strategies that we have implemented in the past. That's Dr. Zinzi Bailey, a social epidemiologist with the University of Miami. Still to come, the economic focus has shifted from infection rates to inflation rates. Cost of living outstripping wages. That doesn't lead to an era of good feeling. That's just an era of uh, kind of quiet anger. This is a special edition of the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening, and please continue showing your support for public radio with a contribution during our program. Thank you. Anyone younger than 40 years old has never lived or worked in an American economy that's experiencing inflation as high as it is now. You have to go back to 1982 before prices and all sorts of stuff were rising as fast as they are today. Sure, gasoline prices have shot up because of the Russian war in Ukraine, but prices of new and used cars, furniture, and food were moving higher well before that violence started. COVID-19 and actions to save the economy from collapse have contributed to fast-rising prices. The virus slowed down or shut down production of some things affecting supply, while COVID stimulus money and savings stoked demand. So even as employment has bounced back and wages are up more than 5% over the last year, that's not keeping pace with prices up almost 8%. I spoke with Howard Frank of FIU's Metropolitan Center, which tracks the COVID economic recovery here in South Florida. I think uh, there's been a, a sea change. It's certainly a positive one when you're not being threatened with sickness or possibly death. That's near, dear, and precious. But now there's a new locus of, of issues that are facing people, and I'm going to stick my neck out a little and say that I think that where we might have expected real wage gains, and that's for the people in the, in the lowest quintile of earnings, I'm wondering if they are seeing that perhaps there's going to be efforts at reducing headcounts. This one caught my attention because I saw it in, in my own neighborhood. Duncan is now rolling out stores where you're going to either have to order ahead of time online or at a kiosk. What I'm, I'm beginning to think is, yes, the Lord giveth with higher wages. And then as a reaction, are you going to see large companies begin to try to minimize headcount? I'm wondering if that's another thing that we're beginning to possibly sense in the in the kind of collective psyche that in the people facing jobs, perhaps employers are going to try to uh, do everything they can to automate or just reduce headcount. And, and that may also lead to a certain degree of unease. But I think the big thing right now is 
40, 50, $70 tanking up and cost of living outstripping wages. I know from going through our stagflation era, that's, that doesn't lead to an era of good feeling. That's just an era of uh, kind of quiet anger. Where do you see, if anywhere, any lasting signs of the pandemic in the South Florida economy? There is still some cut in employment overall, but it is really catching up. I think it is minimalist at this juncture. There might be issues from my perspective in sectors. Are we, are we seeing less employment in, even though we've had enormous bounce back in hospitality and leisure, my read is that it is still about 10% headcount reduction in terms of wage, wage growth and business. We are probably lagging the less tourist dependent parts of the state. That's an indirect indicator. You know, housing, I don't have to tell you, is still going bonkers. It is on fire still. It, right. And, and it hurts the natives. But I think there are enough people from Northeast, Midwest, or overseas who are buying. I don't see drop-off. So I think things look good on the economic front. Now with the interest rate, I can't predict. I don't have a crystal ball. But I do think that the Fed is going to increase and probably increase rates faster than we imagined. And that will begin to go into credit cards. It's going to go into mortgages in terms of you know the, the increase. And it could be that in three to six months, we feel the impact of those rates. They, they are going to begin to damp economic activity. So with that in mind, Howard, let me ask, where do you see the state of the economy in South Florida across different communities, across different socioeconomic demographics? I think that in the lowest quintiles, the people who are in the lower level service industries, people who are what we would have termed the living wage, let's say $15 you know, prior to this onset of inflation might have been getting ahead. I think those folks, they're going to be hit. They're going to be pinched. I think you're going to see a lot of job switching. I spoke with City of Miami. We were talking about on their website what they're observing, and employers are going to have to increase. In fact, on their website, they are now at about $19. They're finding it's about $19 an hour to get people, and there is a, for $0.50 cents and a dollar an hour, people will, sh- will shift jobs. So I think that you're going to get a lot of job shifting, people quitting at the lower end of, of the pay scale, that lowest quintile. And they're going to be pressed. They want to keep a roof over their heads and buy their gasoline. They'll be quitting in, on, in order to get a higher wage in terms of income inequality. It's going to exacerbate certain patterns that you would have hoped might have been redressed through the general wage increase for people at that rate. That, that, that COVID would have given us a deeper appreciation for the people who uh, deliver our food, tackle things that um, we now understand are so necessary. 
Howard Frank watches the economy at FIU's Metropolitan Center. Still to come, how the virus has reshaped working. People are asking for more. They are holding out for more. Money, more protections, more potential benefits. I'd say it's the diploma divide redux. I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Please continue making your donation to public radio during our program. Thank you. COVID-19 has changed the relationship between workers and work on issues like safety considerations, where you can work, pay, and benefits. Just consider that even while the job market has come roaring back in South Florida, more than 30,000 people who are part of the job market before the pandemic have not returned. Dr. Zinzi Bailey has been watching this return to work in what's been called the Great Reassessment. She is a social epidemiologist at the University of Miami. As an epidemiologist, how you think an employee has changed his or her thinking about their personal health and employment? So I think people are still thinking about what risks they might be um, encountering. They're thinking about what they might be exposed to as they're going about their work, thinking about whether their employers are actually protecting them or have measures to protect them. So a lot of that is in in the calculation for people who are considering work, a new work, um, and what that work environment is going to be. They're not willing to take as many risks or maybe not take as many risks for the price that they would have Um, otherwise, right? It's a more accurate calculation, perhaps, of that risk um, and being able to account for that. And I think that people are asking for more. They are holding out for more. Do you mean more money or something else? More money, more protections, more potential benefits, thinking about sick time, being able to take care of their kids during, you know, different periods. Still, there are a significant segment of our population that cannot get vaccinated. And people are thinking about what they're going to be able to do if their kids get sick or if there's something that happens uh, wherever their kids are being taken care of if they're working, right? All of those things are going into the calculation of labor when they're thinking about not just their own health, but the health of their family members. Tens of thousands of people working in South Florida have voluntarily quit their jobs over the past year. It's about one out of every 33 employees. This does not include people retiring or transferred out of the state. It is seen as an indicator of worker confidence in finding another job. And one factor that may play into worker confidence to quit a job to find another is education. While unemployment across all education levels has dropped considerably, it is just 2% for people with at least a college bachelor's degree. This is Howard Frank at FIU's Metropolitan Center. There's going to be a bidding war. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this at FIU um, trying to fill faculty positions. You know, there's, there, and, and our professional staff, there's kind of bidding wars for people. So I think if you are BA and higher, you're going to be in demand. And I think the market will reward you. I don't know about non-BA earners in lower wage service jobs. And I think the fact that so many people my age are leaving the workforce 
and maybe maybe tiptoeing back in, but people would say over 50, over 55, and they've been able to leave because the stock market's done well and, and the real estate is worth more. That just puts a higher premium on people under age 55 because we have a shortage of labor. And um, those folks, I think that they're, there's going, they're, they're, they'll have no problems being employed. They're going to be, they'll get gobbled up. I'd say it's the diploma divide redux. Howard Frank directs FIU's Metropolitan Center. You can find a podcast of this program and all of our programs by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Michael Stock is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting WLRN. WLRN Public Media.